Good morning. Good to see everybody out there this morning. We're glad you're here with us, and we want to welcome you to Union Baptist Church. Our scripture reading this morning, we're, I'm going to stick with what we uh, looked at in Sunday school. It's going to be Psalm 23. I want to read that together and, and then pray and, and uh, call us to, worship, to order this morning as we worship. So Psalm 23, we could probably recite this from, from memory, but David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Fathers, we read these words. Our minds probably go in a in hundred different directions as we each uh, think different thoughts having heard these words and, and come to you know different conclusions and things like that. But Father, we, we rejoice in the in the beauty of this this psalm god we rejoice in just straightforwardly looking at it that you've pledged yourself to us eternally god you start the psalm opens with how you're you're the shepherd uh, over the flock and it ends with people dwelling in your household god there's a progression through through the pitfalls of life uh, through the snares and and the dark times and and all the problems that we face but god ultimately there is victory there's ultimately a community of people that have been gathered together your sheep we could call them your family would be another fitting term for this group god that you've gathered together but it's a community of believers a community of people that are traveling together through this life knowing uh, that you are with us all the way god and that you will bring us uh, bring us to our our reward and we praise you for these things. God, we thank you that you are a shepherd, the one who goes before us, the one who, who fights our battles for us, the one who prepares the pathway, who takes us to those places where we uh, receive the food and, and the drink that we need, sustaining us. And that's not just physically. You do provide, God, for us physically. But, God, it, it pictures uh, the spiritual aspects of your provision as well how you care for our souls and, and you uh, watch over us. You provide us with salvation. God, you uh, fight off our enemies and, and victoriously trample them beneath your feet, God. And, and ultimately, you carry us through this life, going before us, walking with us, leading us, guiding us, protecting us until you bring us to, to heaven. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you that we are not alone. As we take another look into this psalm, we see that, that we're a part of a group of people, God. And, and so we look around here this morning and we see that we are with other sheep and we're not alone, though we feel at times that we are. And I pray that you would build connections, God, as we journey through this life together, as we face trials and, and, and problems through this life, that we would take heart knowing that we have a great shepherd, but that we would also take heart knowing that, that the trials that fall upon us are not, are not unique to us, God, that there are brothers and sisters, uh, fellow 
people journeying with us, God, that can help us and point us to you and encourage us. And we pray that you would build that kind of fellowship here. God, that you would build that kind of, of community here within this church at Union Baptist, God, that we would be people who are faithfully following our shepherd, but that we would have such care for one another, God, that when one uh, stumbles and falls or when one is injured, God, when one is fearful or in need, that we would all gather around and be uh, there to support and to love and to pray for and to uh, hold accountability for those that, that we journey with, God. We praise you and we bless you, Lord, for the, the benefits that you've given us. We ask that you would free our hearts now, God, as we worship you that we would remember what we talked about last week, that you are a great God and greatly to be praised, and that we would open uh, the, the, the reserves of our heart, so to speak, and pour out worship and praise to you, God, because you are truly worthy, and that we would declare that with singing and worship, God, uh, to your great name. And we ask these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and shepherd. Amen. Let's have our ushers come forward at this time for our offering this morning. As they're coming, I want to encourage you uh, to be praying for our, our missionaries as we give. Uh, a, a good part of what we give goes to support mission works uh, you know, here in the United States and then around the world. And uh, we've been mentioning through the month of July uh, and talking about uh, Jerry and, and Sarah Howard. So we want to continue to lift them up, uh, pray for God's blessing on them. We pray for their safety. We pray uh, that God would protect them, but we also pray uh, that they would be faithful in the midst of a difficult situation. We pray that God would help them to be bold with the gospel. So let's pray this morning. Lord, we come to you this morning, and we come as those who have been so greatly and so richly blessed. Lord, it's, it's hard probably for many of us to even realize how much you've blessed us um, in various ways, Lord, that through the gospel, through the forgiveness and all the the, the wonderful blessings of, of, of Christ that we receive in the gospel, but, but even just the material blessing that, that we've received, Lord, the, uh, the good health, the, the homes, the jobs, um, the health care that we have, Lord, all, all of these things uh, are blessings from you, and we want to rightly recognize that. Lord, we, we pray that uh, recognizing that these things come from you would, would then lead us to be generous as well. Lord, you're generous with us. You, you've lavished your kindness upon us. So, so Lord, help us to mirror that and help us that, to reflect that in the way that we deal with others. Help us to be a generous people. We pray this morning that we would give cheerfully and that we would give generously. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless those uh, missionaries that that this money goes to support. And we, we pray specifically for Jerry and Sarah. God, we pray for your hand to be upon them. Lord, we, we know as we saw this morning in Sunday school that uh, you don't promise, Lord, not to lead us in dark valleys or dark areas. You don't promise to, to lead us uh, just in places that are, that are uh, peaceful and serene all the time. You, you lead us through the valley of the shadow of death often, but but when we go there, you're with us and your rod and your staff comfort us and you guide us. So we pray for them as they go through trials and difficulties, God, that you would sustain them, that you would meet them there. Lord, I was just struck with the fact that in the midst of that dark valley, there was no fear and there was comfort. And that came as a result of your presence. So we pray that you would be present in the life of Jerry and Sarah, and that you would help them sustain them. 
God, help us. There may be some here this morning who are undergoing trials. I pray that you would be present in their lives, that you would comfort them, and that you would remove the fear that's in their heart. Help them to trust you and to know you more. Bless us this morning, Lord. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses, just verses 16 and 17. Uh, We're continuing our series this morning through our our mission statement. Uh, We've talked about how really the reason we kind of keep coming back to this and trying to reiterate it from time to time is just because uh, the the fact is that that just because we have a mission statement, just because we've put it on the wall and we've we've copied it on the bulletin and and just because we repeat it doesn't mean that this is actually a, a description of who we are. Uh, and, and so one of the things that we know about ourselves is we need to be reminded of really important things from time to time uh, so that we come back to them. I, I see that in my life in various ways, just in parenting and marriage. It's, it's good to be reminded about what is true and what is important so you can kind of reset and come back to that again. This, this is who we want to be as a church. It doesn't always describe perfectly who we are right now. And so that's the aim of, of why we're going through this uh, once more. And so we looked, week number one, we talked about the fact that we exist as a church, Union Baptist Church exists to glorify God. That's, that's the overriding purpose. You could kind of put a period at the end of that and say that's, that's what our purpose is. We, we exist to, to glorify God. We, we said a few things about that, a couple really important aspects of, of what we mean by that. One is, is that this is not just one priority among many. Uh, so often we treat it that way. You know, I want to get married. I want to have make money. I want to have children. I want to get the right career. And also I want to be a Christian and glorify God. And so it's just one among equal uh, priorities that we have in life. And sometimes making money trumps glorifying God. Sometimes getting married trumps glorifying God. Sometimes uh, we allow our children to, to trump glorifying God. But, but as a church, what we want to become as individuals and corporately is that we want to become a people who glorifying God trumps everything else. It goes above everything else. It goes above all of those other priorities that we might have. I want to glorify God more than I want to live should really be the heartbeat of, of this church. And then we, we talked about how glorifying God is not just a religious church activity, as we often think. Well, I go to church and I sing and I give. And at that period of time when I'm in church, in the church building, uh, then I'm glorifying God. But no, this, this is something that should permeate every part of our life. We talked about living our life quorum Deo, before the face of God, as if God is watching in everything that we do because He is. So, so we still have some of those priorities. I, I want to make money, but, but glorifying God is, is primary. And, and I want to glorify God in the way that I make money, in the way that I spend money. I want to get married, but, but I want to glorify God in who I marry and how I live as, as a spouse. I want to have children, but I want to glorify God in the way that I raise my children. You see, glorifying God is above all of those things and it permeates all of those things. It's part of it. So we glorify God in everything that we we do. And we really want to be a church that that could be said of us, that Union Baptist Church, those people, they're, they're serious. They really want to glorify God in our personal life, the way that we operate as a church, the decisions that we make, the way that we spend money, all of those things we want to glorify God. Week two, 
We saw that really the chief way that we glorify God is by becoming like Jesus Christ, being disciples of Jesus Christ, which involves us then in a process of growth and, and change. Uh, in other words, we see that we can't glorify God always just by being who we've always been. It, it requires change in our life so that we can become like Jesus, we can reflect Jesus, and in a sense reflect the image of, of God. That's a hard process we talked about because the, the process of growth and change in the Bible is pictured as death. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Paul said, put to death the deeds of the body. So, so this process of glorifying God by changing to become like Jesus Christ is going to be a very difficult and arduous task. And then week number three, last week, Jared did an excellent job in preaching and talking about how uh, this commitment to grow and be disciples of Jesus Christ, it isn't just something I do personally, but, but that I need to be committed to help other people grow and become like Jesus Christ as well. I, I, Jesus or God is worthy of, of all the glory. And so uh, I, I need to help others glorify God by becoming like Jesus Christ. Jared showed us that this really is making disciples is, is really an issue of submission to God's to Christ's authority. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. All authority is given to me. Now you go make disciples. We've been, we've been commissioned to do this. And as well, we've been gifted. He's, he's gifted us to be able to do the work of helping other people follow Jesus Christ. Well, this week I, I want to consider more than just the fact that we have been commanded to make disciples. So, so I need to be personally growing and becoming like Jesus and committed to that process of change and growth. I also need to be committed to the process of helping others grow and become like Jesus. But, but I think we've talked a lot about that, and we've kind of seen this is what you ought to do. But, but sometimes I wonder if we really know what does that look like? What does it look like for me to help other people become like Jesus? And what I want to look at really is just one aspect of this. We've, we've talked in the past about other ways, uh, but, but today I want to talk about one important way. Uh, and I'll just say this, that, that the, the main point here this morning, the big idea is this, that growing disciples, growing disciples of Jesus Christ involves my participation in a community of believers. So it's a willing participation in a community of believers in which I'm willing to both be corrected and correct desires and thinking and behavior that is not like Jesus. So, so I'm willing for others to correct me and to admonish me when, when I'm not acting or looking or thinking or feeling like Jesus. And I'm willing also to help others in, in that way by, by offering some, some loving, humble encouragement for them when they are not acting, thinking, looking, behaving like, like Jesus. So what I want to do this morning is look at, at Colossians 3, and this will kind of be, we'll look at a few passages, but, but I want us to notice this here. Uh, there's a word that is used here, and it's used several places in the New Testament, uh, and really what it shows us is that this kind of activity, this admonition, uh, this encouragement to other people for them to act like Jesus uh, is really an everyday part of of church life. This should be normal. So look at Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. There's our, there's our word that we're really focusing on, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing and making psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thank, thanks 
with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then the product of that is that you are teaching others. That's part of growing disciples, right? Is that we teach them what the Bible says. We, so, so we have Bible studies and we go to community group and we come to church and we, we teach this is what the Bible says. But, but there's another element of teaching. If you've ever done any teaching, and probably all of you have, if you have children, you teach your children all the time. So you give instruction. But, but then there's this second element of when, when something isn't done right, when something isn't done in the correct way, you come back with admonition. It, it's sort of correction. Uh, to, to a problem. The, the word here is no, no thesis. Uh, there's a noun and a verb, uh, but, but the, the noun is no thesis. It's, it's, it's translated to teach in the New Testament, to warn. Sometimes to warn, it's, it's translated as here, admonition. A.T. Robertson said this word means to put sense into to put sense into. So, so you, get the, you get the idea of that. You, your children are acting up, and what do you do? You admonish them, right? You, you put sense into them. Hey, get it together. Uh, we're in the middle of the store. You're, you don't need to act this way, right? you you got to act better, all right? That's an admonition, okay? Um, in short, this word, this word admonition, it has the idea of giving instruction, like teaching. But it particularly assumes that something is wrong. There's an element of correction as well. And then it, it, it uh, involves an appeal to do it the right way, okay? So, so you tell your kids on the way there, they haven't done anything wrong, but you tell them, hey, we're going to the store, and this is how you should behave whenever we go into the store. That's teaching. There's no problem there. You're just teaching them, training them. Then you get in the store, and they start acting a fool. And then you have to admonish them, right? Hey, no, we're not going to ask and pull stuff off the shelf and ask for everything. We're not going to run down the aisles. We're not going to bump into people. That's, you see, that's a correction. That's an admonition. They're still teaching there, but it's seeking to correct a problem. Jay Adams says of this word, it says it, it implies a problem and presupposes an obstacle that must be overcome. Something is wrong in the life of the one who is confronted. This kind of admonition arises out of a condition in a Christian that God wants to change. And that's what we're talking about here. We're not just talking about admonition in, in, in any area or, or having to do with anything. Uh, we're talking about correction in, in the way of Christ. That's what we're teaching people, right? We're teaching them to be like Jesus. Hey, you need to reflect. You need to grow in the way that you look like Jesus. And guess what? When you blow up in anger over here, right? That was, that was not it. When you're, when you are engulfed in lust and, and pornography, that doesn't look like Jesus. So there needs to be some admonition and to some correction. Brother, th this is not good. You, you need to come away from this and do this the, the right way. We, we use admonition all the time. Teachers do this with, with students. So if, if you've ever taught, you, you know, right, a teacher goes into the classroom, you open up the books and you begin to teach the material, right? But you don't just close the book and say, okay, now we're done. No, you, you give them some handouts, you, you give them some work to do, they do the worksheets, and then what does the teacher do? The teacher looks over them, they grade them, uh, and then they come back and say, you know, wait, wait a minute here, okay, you did this problem and it's wrong, you got the wrong answer, but, but this is what you did here. You didn't follow the order of operations on this, and so you did 
what? Multiplication before exponents, right? For those of you that remember, please excuse, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, right? The order of operations when you're doing a math problem. Everybody's just like, woo. All right. Uh, I had to look that one up just to give an example so, so you feel better. I didn't just remember that. Uh, but, but, you know, a teacher provides instruction in that. There's some correction that's going on there. And that's what, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, that, that's what Paul is, is urging us to. Parents, we do this. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to, ra- to anger, but bring them up in the discipline. And if you remember the King James, for those of you perhaps that still use it, the discipline and the admonition of the Lord. That's that word, the instruction of the Lord, the, the correction when things are not done in the right way. Well, what we're seeing here is that the Bible is teaching that that kind of correction, that the kind that a student, a teacher would do for a student or the kind that a parent would do uh, for for a child is is the same thing that should be happening in the life of a New Testament church. It should be an everyday, ordinary part of life in the church. Paul saw this in in his ministry. And and in fact, in Colossians 1.28, earlier in the book of Colossians, he says this, Him we proclaim, talking about Jesus Christ, Him we proclaim, that was Paul's mission, to proclaim Jesus Christ. And then he says this, warning everyone. That's Colossians 1.28, warning everyone, and that word is admonition. Giving an admonition to everyone and teaching everyone. So there's that teaching, the positive element, but then the corrective element as well. Teaching and admonishing. So we proclaim Jesus Christ, and what does that look like? Well, we teach about Him, but then we also admonish. We correct when, when things are not right. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why do you do that, Paul? that we may present everyone mature in Christ. What's Paul's aim? The aim of Paul's ministry was that God's people would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. He wanted the people at at Colossae and the people at the church at Ephesus and Philippi, he wanted those people to grow and to mature in Jesus Christ. Paul was not content just to say, hey, we got another 50 converts at Philippi. Right? Praise the Lord. Numbers more baptisms, right? That's great. That's wonderful. We, we long to see people converted and believe in Jesus Christ. We want to see that. But as Southern Baptists, we've become content with that. Like, well, the numbers, how many baptisms? That, and that's, that's it. That's all that matters. How many baptisms do you have? How many converts? How many people professing faith in Jesus Christ? That's it. They're in, they're in the fold. Now, we may never see them again. Right? There are many churches that, that baptize 20, 30, 40 people in a year and their, their average attendance doesn't ever increase. No one is ever becoming more and more like Jesus. That's a problem. Paul says, listen, we proclaim Jesus Christ and we teach people and we admonish them so that we can present them mature in Jesus Christ. That's the aim that we have here at Union Baptist Church. We want to see people through evangelism come to faith in Jesus Christ. But that's not enough. We want to maximize the glory of God by raising them up and teaching them and training them and exhorting them so that they become more and more like Jesus Christ every day. We want them to be mature in Christ. That's the aim of our our ministry. That's how we bring glory to God. Now... He said, well, that's good. You and Jared should get to it, right? That's the work of pastors to 
to exhort. Paul said this was his ministry that, that he proclaimed Christ and that he warned everyone and taught everyone. So Paul was a missionary and pastor of sorts in, in those churches. And so that was Paul's work. And well, you and Jared, you're pastors here. And so that's your work to do. But let's come back to our text this morning in Colossians 3.16. What we see in the New Testament is actually that it's not just the work of pastors to teach and admonish or exhort uh, but it's the work of all of us. Colossians 3.16, do you remember what it said? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. He's writing to all the members. He's saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it be overflowing in your life so that you may teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. So Union Baptist Church, you, you have a responsibility to make disciples. And part of that is evangelism. Part of that is within the body of Christ, teaching one another. And when there's a problem, when, when somebody is straying, when somebody is struggling with sin, to admonish them, to provide a correction to them so that they will grow in the image of Christ. You know, that's totally opposite of, of what many uh, think of the, the church in our day and time, right? Most people think of the church as like almost like, you know, going to the movies. So I show up and I sit in the seat and I enjoy the experience and I personally can be edified and build up, but like that's you. Oh, you're, you're, uh, going off into a, a, an affair. Uh, you're struggling with materialism. You're struggling with lust. You're struggling with anger, with pride. I'm not getting involved in that mess. That ain't me. Right? That's not my responsibility, but, but what Paul is saying here is that it absolutely is your responsibility. It's my responsibility. We have a responsibility for one another to grow in the image of Christ. We need to be part of a, of a community where there's some accountability, where there's some admonition for somebody that has a relationship with you that can come along and say, you know, brother, sister, this, this just really isn't right in your life. This, this is a problem. And I don't know if you see it. And I love you and I care for you. And I don't want to condemn you. I'm not better than you. I'm a sinner too. And I'm going to need some of this admonition as well at times. But what's going on here, that should change. You don't look like Jesus when you act this way or when this is going on in your life. Consider the Great Commission. You know, you think about Jesus' own words. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of, of all nations. And as Jared pointed out, he said, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So this is talking about not just head knowledge. And that's, I think, what we get sometimes in church. When, Okay, we go from just pure evangelism. Just get people to believe in Jesus. Just get them to pray the sinner's prayer. Boom, 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 that's it. And then when we start to talk about discipleship, we go a step further, but I don't think we go far enough because the next step is, hey, we just need to teach you the Bible. You need to have more knowledge, have more knowledge, have more. You need to know more about Jesus. You need to know the doctrines of the church. And that's good, right? You do need that. We need evangelists. I'm not saying don't evangelize. I'm not saying don't teach people what the Bible says and teach them about doctrine. But when Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, what is he talking about there? He's talking about your life. 
He's talking about the way that you live, the way that you act, the way that you are at work, the way that you act as a husband or a, or a wife, the, the, the way that you deal with money. He's talking about incorporating the teaching of Jesus Christ into your everyday life. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And so if you're teaching them to observe these things, isn't it just obvious that that would require some correction? I mean, I mean, is there anything you've ever learned that was of any level of difficulty at all that didn't require someone to say, ah, yeah, okay, you're kind of getting it, but this, this was wrong, right? Have you ever learned or have you ever taught anyone anything really of substance that didn't require some level of correction and, and admonition? You don't do it out of hate. You don't do it because you're mean. You don't do it out of arrogance. But, but if, if you, if they, the, the supervisor comes and says, Hey, th this, this is a new hire here and he's going to work alongside of you and I need you to train him. Uh, at some point you, you're going to teach him and you're going to tell him, Hey, this is the process. This is what you do. And you press this button and you make sure you wait this period of time, whatever it is, right? You, you explain it to him and you explain it to him and you explain it to him. But then eventually he's got to start doing it. But he, but he's always going to do something wrong, right? I mean, very rarely does anybody just first time, boom, everything and any kind of process that that is any level of difficulty, they just get everything exactly right. No, you've got to come back and say, oh, wait, no, you didn't do this. And, and so this is wrong. Next time when it comes down, you've got to do this first. Right. That's correction. Now, if, if that's true in school, if that's true in the way that we we train people at work, if it's true in any area of life, how could that not be true? of learning to become like Jesus Christ, that we wouldn't need some correction. I think all of us do, especially when we stop and think about it. We stop and think about the, the difficulty that, that we mentioned before of, of this process of growth and change. Right? Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross daily and follow me. That's not an easy process. We talked about that. That means you've got to die to yourself. You've got to die to what comes natural. You've got to die to what mama always told you. You've got to die to, to those natural inclinations, the automatic responses that you have in order to be like Jesus Christ. So that's a very, very, very difficult uh, thing to do. When, when Paul says that we are to follow the Spirit, and to put to death the deeds of our body, to put to death the deeds of our flesh, that's presented as warfare, right? And, it, and it's an ongoing, everyday kind of thing. So just think of the level of challenge that that is in your life. And brothers and sisters, you need encouragement to do the right thing, right? I need encouragement. I, I need somebody who, who can look at my life from an obje objective standpoint with a heart of love and patience and humility and, and say to me, you know, Andrew, when you acted that way, that, that really was wrong. Okay, that, that, that really isn't what I think you, you, the way you want that. You're not exhibiting there the fruits of the Spirit. You, you don't really look like Jesus Christ when you act in that way. We all need that kind of encouragement. You know, I think studies have shown that belonging to any kind of community where there's some kind of level of accountability and expectation it's going to exponentially help you in the direction that you want to go. So you just think about businesses that have a strong culture, 
And there's an expectation and accountability built into that. Like you're on time, you do your job with excellence and with skill. And when that is, is part of the DNA of a company and somebody comes into that company, that expectation is there. They, they live up to that expectation, right? But I think most of us have probably had the experience where we've gone into a company and, and we've been part of a, of a workplace where it's just utter chaos. There are no, there is no accountability. There, there, there is, there aren't really good expectations. Everybody's just kind of the wild west. Everybody's doing what they want to do, right? And, 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 and they just continue in that path. I just recently, for another example of this, I, you know, I like to be active. I like to play basketball. I like to run a little bit. I really hate lifting weights. Um, but, but here recently, I've just recognized, man, I'm getting weaker and weaker. I, I've got a job where I don't do a lot of physical activity, right? So my upper body strength, my core strength, all of that is just really, really weak. And uh, in fact, actually what happened was uh, my brother Friday had to have back surgery. He had a herniated disc and it was touching the nerve. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got... I feel like probably some of the same inclinations there, like my back, I've already got some back pain that, that I'm noticing. And I'm just thinking, man, I don't want to end up there. So I've, I've tried to get some accountability. I've, I've got a friend who is into working out. He's, he's trained professionally and, and has a degree in physical education and a pretty good friend. And I just said, hey, would you work out with me? And uh, we're working out together. There's, there's some accountability there. There's an expectation that I'm going to be there. He, he's also trained, so he knows what he's doing. He's able to instruct me, hey, this is what you need to do. This is the muscle group that you need to work on and target and, and these kind of things. And that's, that's helped me greatly to follow through because here's the reality. I've tried to lift weights and work out at the gym before, and I've done it for a time, and, and I always fall off. You've probably had that experience, right? If it's just me by myself, I do it a few times, and then you get really sore. It's like, I never want to do that again, right? Why would anybody want to feel this way? Like, I'm walking around like this, you know? Like, I, we were at the uh, Backyard Bible Club this week, and I'm trying to bend down to pick up something. I'm like, oh, the kids wanted to play football. I could barely move. And, and if it was just me, guess what? I started feeling better about Thursday I'm like, okay, I can finally feel like I can move. There's still some soreness there, but I'm feeling a little bit better. Well, we were supposed to go back Friday, right? But there was some accountability there. If it was just me, I would not have gone back Friday. I would not have been working out on Friday. But there was expectation there, and, and there was instruction that was given. If, if I didn't show up, I knew he was going to call me. Well, well, that's the way we need to be in the church, that's the kind of community that we want to develop here, uh, not in terms of physical things, but, but in terms of, of becoming like Jesus Christ. We want that kind of accountability. Uh, we want people who can tell us, you know, as I'm working out, he can tell me, no, your form is all wrong on that. You, you can work out like that, but you're not, you're not doing the right thing. You're not going to strengthen that muscle because you're just compensating with, with this other way of doing it. So you need to change up the way you're doing it. And he, he gave me correction, right? That, that's the kind of environment that we want to build in the church. No, that's not what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's not what Jesus said we should do. That's not the way that Jesus said we should relate to money. You shouldn't be living for those things, right? We need that kind of encouragement. I would say this, weak, immature, and ineffective churches are the product of no accountability, 
no correction, and no admonition. You just look around at our, at our culture here in, in America and you look at the churches and what you largely find is very weak, very immature, very ineffective churches and, and, and Christians. And what's going on there? Why, why is it that you go to other places in, in the world and, and Christians are much more mature and they've, they've made more progress uh, in following Christ. Why is it that we are so weak? Well, there, there, may be, there may be many reasons for that, right? I don't want to just narrow it down and say it's just this one thing. But, but you can be sure one of the reasons that we are in the state that we're in is that we've adopted a mindset uh, where we've rejected any kind of uh, correction. We've rejected any kind of accountability. Listen, if you reject accountability and you refuse to be corrected, you will not become like Jesus. It's just as simple as that. You see, again, what what does Paul say? Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You see the goal of that, right? The, The goal is that we would be mature in Christ. So if we're not seeing maturity in Jesus Christ, what's the problem? The problem is that we've rejected the God-ordained means of becoming mature. How do we become mature in Christ? Through teaching and admonition. That's, that's the way that, that it happens. And so I think that's part of the problem. If, if we reject that kind of accountability and we refuse to be part of a community that, that does that, uh, we're going to fail to become like Jesus Christ. Part of some of what's going on there are some unbiblical mindsets uh, that we have in, built into our culture. And that's part of the, the difficulty in overcoming this and pressing forward in this is that, that these things are so deeply ingrained. One, one of them is just the that's none of my business mindset, right? We, we have just been taught like you just mind your own business. And that's so good on so many levels. It really is important for us just in, in a lot of ways to mind our own business. But within the, a church community, we should all be committed to the ultimate goal of becoming like Jesus so that, so that we invite people into our business, right? It, it is your business. If, if I'm not living like Jesus Christ, guess what? It is your business. If you're a member of this church, if we've covenanted together and I'm living in sin, that very much is your business. And guess what? It's my business if you're not. It's, it's all of our, we, we've, that's what part of being part of a church means. And so we invite that into our lives. The other wrong mindset, I think, is this, that, that we think of love. We think, well, that's just unloving. Uh, we think of love as just affirmation. If you love me, you're going to affirm whatever I do. If, if I decide to go this path and destroy my life, well, you just affirm me in this and just tell me how wonderful it is that I, I'm doing what my heart wants me to do. And you just affirm that all the while I'm destroying my life. Well, that's not love at all. But that's the, the kind of love that we've uh, understood in, in our culture. Now, let me say something here. Receiving admonition requires that your highest priority be glorifying God and growing in likeness to Jesus Christ. You see, if you're going to be willing to accept that and, and in other cases to give that kind of correction, your highest priority has to be the glory of God. If it's not, you're not going to, you're not going to like that. You're, you're not going to want this. It, it all comes back to the issue of growth and change. Are you truly committed to glorifying God? 
If you're committed to change and to grow in order to become like Jesus, it will necessarily involve taking some correction. But here's the reality. We as human beings, we recoil from accountability until we're ready to change. You understand? We, we shrink back. We pull away from any kind of accountability in any sphere in our life. We pull away from that accountability until we're ready to change. Like, would, does anybody want to weigh in today in front of everybody here? You want to come up? We'll put a scale up here and we're going to weigh, weigh in and everybody will see your weight. And then, I mean, we, most of us like, whoa, I'm not doing that, right? But if I'm not mistaken, that, that's what Weight Watchers does, right? When they have their meetings, they have some accountability there and, and you have to weigh in together and log that in, in front of everybody to see. What would lead somebody to do that? I mean, that, that's something for most of us to be like, ah, no way, I don't want everybody to see that, right? But what leads people to do that is they finally get so sick of being overweight and out of shape and, and, and they realize, you know what, I'm just going to have to get over the embarrassment of doing something like that because I want to change, right? I've got to lose some weight. I'm unhealthy. I'm having health problems. I'm spending all my money at the doctor and, and on medication and I've got to change. So guess what? I'm just going to go and I'm going to weigh in and I'm going to have that accountability. You see, until a person is committed to change, they're going to re recoil from that. In fact, the reason they recoil is because they don't want to change, right? I don't really want to give up eating like that. I, I, I don't really want to give up my 10 o'clock snack. Does anybody else have a 10 o'clock snack? Man, that like eight to 10 o'clock is my, yeah, Daniel eats about three bowls of cereal, uh, or three boxes, is it three? I can't remember. But uh, yeah, man, that's, that's tough. I don't want to give that up. And so I don't want accountability because I'm not ready to change yet. And that's the way it is in the church so often. The reason we don't want accountability is because it's like, yeah, I kind of want Jesus. I, I kind of want to glorify God, but that's not my highest priority. I, I still kind of like my sin too. So I'm just going to keep everybody at a distance. And I can come to Sunday morning and just stay nominally engaged with the church without any real involvement in my personal life. I can have a little bit of Jesus, but He's not my highest priority. I'm not ready to give up my sin. I'm not ready to change my life yet. I'm not ready for that level of, of commitment. And it's only until we come to the point where we say, Jesus is my highest priority. The glory of God and becoming like Christ is my highest priority. It is only at that moment that we will say, yes, please correct me. Yes, please give me some instruction. Yes, please, when, when you see me erring, when you see me going in a wrong path, I invite that kind of criticism. This is the problem I have going on in my life. Would you, would you speak into that from, from the Word of God? It's only when we're ready to change and have that as our highest priority that we'll be willing to invite that. Now, we see that all the time. And you see this in marriages. I've seen this repeated scores of times. Where you see people and you see, man, their life is not heading in a good direction. Their marriage is struggling. But they just keep you at a distance, right? Oh, everything's fine. Yeah, it's good to see you, right? And, and, and then, it's only at the point where things are about ready to fall apart so often and, and, and they feel like I have no other option and something's got to change that they'd be willing then to come and talk to somebody, right? It's only at, at that point. It's, it's only then that they will uh, invite that kind of criticism or that kind of uh, admonition. 
Well, that's what we want to cultivate here is an environment where this kind of admonition is normal, where it's expected, where it is welcomed and, and received. Let me just say a couple words about this. Admonition must be done in the right way. Because maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, wow, that sounds really horrible. You know, uh, that sounds like that could be greatly abused. It sounds like that could become a re- really ugly thing if, if that got out of hand. And you're absolutely right to all of those things. It, it could be a very ugly, very bad and abusive thing if it was done in the wrong way. So let me just say a few things. One, this has to be done in love. It must be done in love. Paul in Ephesians 4.15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. So when we speak these kinds of words of admonition, it better come from a place of love. If it doesn't, we don't, we don't need to be saying them. It's got to be spoken in love. We talked about the relationship of parent and child and how this is used. When you correct your children, you do it out of love. Right? You, you don't do it because you're angry at them. You, you don't do it because you're trying to control them and have power over them, uh, or because you're being abusive toward them. You do it because you love them, right? And you do it in a loving way if you do it right. And that's what Paul is saying here. We need to speak the truth, but we need to do it in love. And you notice there as well, why? So that we can grow up into Him who's the head. How do we grow up into Jesus Christ? We speak the truth to one another in love. It's always with the good of the person in mind. Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.14 says this, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. To admonish you. There's that word again. I do this, I admonish you as my beloved children. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. I'm trying to admonish you as, as children. So it requires love. It also requires Humility. Number one, if we're, if we're giving this kind of admonition, we better be humble. If you're helping other people see some faults in their life or see some ways in which they're not being like Jesus Christ, you better be humble yourself and be willing to receive that. You better recognize, as Galatians uh, 6 1 says, that, that you need to keep a watch on yourself too. You don't do this from a place of pride as if, hey, I'm the one that's got everything right and I'm going to straighten everybody else out, right? Uh, that's not, that's what, what we need to do. But we also have to be humble in, in being willing to receive correction. Man, it's hard to receive correction, isn't it? Does anybody here just really love to be corrected? Anybody here that just invites that? Man, I love it when somebody tells me I've been doing things wrong. I just wake up in the morning waiting and hoping that somebody will straighten me out. No, none of us is that way. The reason is that, that we have pride, and so we have to be humble. But listen, it's a foolish thing. You may not love it, but it is a very foolish thing to be unwilling to receive correction. The Bible is clear about the, the, the book of Proverbs. says it all over the place. The, the way of the fool, Proverbs twelve fifteen, is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. We don't want to be people that are always just like, no, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. This is right. Right? We, we want to be those who receive advice. Proverbs 9, 9, give instruction to a wise man. And what will happen if he's wise? He'll get even wiser. Teach a righteous man and he'll increase in learning. Proverbs 19, 20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. 
Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding or hearing what other people have to say, but only in expressing his own opinion. Proverbs 23.9, do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your word. If you're a person who hears some correction, who hears instruction, you're like, I don't want to listen to that, right? I, I, I hate you. I don't want that, right? That's the mark of a fool. It's a mark of a wise person to say, oh, Okay. Yeah, you, you probably are right there, and I, I need to change that. That's a mark of, of wisdom. The Bible says, the book of Proverbs says that fools hate knowledge. They, they don't want to listen to it. You have to be willing to be taught and corrected. I said that, that this word is used in the parent-child relationship, right? But, but you know what that means? That means that we kind of have to be like children sometimes who are willing to be instructed and to be taught. What do we say a lot of times when somebody tries to correct us? Leave me alone. I'm not a child. I'm not a child. I don't need you to tell me what to do in my life. I'm not a child. But that's exactly the kind of humble position we have to be in to be willing to allow people to speak into our lives. You know what Solomon said when he prayed to the Lord? He prayed, Lord, give me wisdom because I'm, I am like a little child. And the Lord answered that and poured wisdom out on, on Solomon. We need to be able to assume the posture and the standing of a child and allow others to instruct us so that we can learn and to grow. God calls us children, doesn't He? He says that we're His children. And in fact, the spiritual maturity of children is actually one of the analogies that God uses in His Word to talk about the growth of Christians. So it shouldn't be any surprise to us then uh, that some of that correction is needed. The same kind of correction that we give to children. In fact, you remember the words of Jesus, how He said, unless you become like a little child, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. We need that kind of humility in, in our lives. So let me ask you in conclusion this morning, are, are you humble enough for someone to speak into the sensitive areas of your life and offer counsel and instruction? Are you humble enough for that? That's a Man, that's hard. It's hard to do. Are you humble enough to do that? Let me ask you another question. When, when was the last time that someone was able to say to you, friend, I think you were wrong about that without you blowing up in anger or isolating yourself from that person? When was the last time that happened in your life? Maybe it was when you were a child. <laughs> Maybe as an adult, that's never happened in your life without you becoming angry about it. When was the last time that you changed something in your life as a result of a friend in Christ lovingly challenging your behavior or your attitude or, or your actions? When was the last time that happened? I would say if that's never happened, that's, that's a problem, right? If you can't think of the last time somebody challenged you and you think, eh, that hurts a little bit, it stings. It's kind of hard not to swell up in pride. But that's exactly right, and I need to change that. When, when was the last time that happened? Who is there in your life who has the freedom to be able to say those things to you? Is there anybody in your life who can say hard things to you without you blowing up in anger, without you isolating yourself, without you shutting them down? Is there anybody who can do that? Even a spouse? 
Sometimes, you know, you know God give, gives us our spouses to help sanctify us. They know us better than anybody. And if your spouse is a believer, that's, that's a, a token of God's grace to you. That, that person should be able to speak into your life and say, you know what, you always do this when this happens, and that, that's just wrong. And we ought to be able to, to receive that, but so often we, we don't. Who's, who is there in your life who's, who's able to do this? Are, are you committed to glorifying God by becoming like Jesus? Do you think you can get there without being challenged and helped by others? If you do, I, I, I have some bad news for you. You're sadly mistaken. If you think you can be the John Wayne of, of sanctification and you can become like Jesus all by yourself without any correction, without any instruction, without any help and encouragement in the right direction, you are sadly mistaken. You will not become like Jesus let me just say, there, there are some things I think we need to keep in mind. You ought to invite this. You ought to invite this kind of correction into your life. Uh, part of that means that you just need to open up. You need to open up when you have opportunity. When there are brothers and sisters in Christ around, you, you can open up and say, say to people, you know, I struggle with this. I struggle with lust. Or I struggle with pride. Or I struggle with materialism and just wanting to keep everything for myself. And sharing that with brothers and sisters who are close enough to challenge you on that. And invite, would you, would you talk to me about that? Would you hold me accountable in this area? Because here's the reality. The only way we're going to grow as a congregation that does this is if people begin to take down the guards. Right? That's what we do in Hancock County. We build up the guards because we know people gossip and people talk and we don't want anybody to know anything in our personal life. But, but listen, the way things are in Hancock County, this is the kingdom of God here. This is altogether different. And we're under different rules and we're under different, a different king and a different way of doing things. And we need to be willing to invite that into our lives. That's never going to happen unless we open up. And then let me say this. We need to build relationships where that can happen. I would encourage you, what, what part of the reason we have community groups is just simply to create an environment where that might be a natural thing to do. You're probably not going to turn around to somebody after we get done singing the last song today and say, hey, I'm struggling with pride. You could do that. I would encourage you. Maybe just tell them that let's go in the Sunday school room and I've got something to share. You could do that, right? But, but something like community group or Sunday school where, where you're with the same people on a regular basis, it just provides an environment where we can be a little more open and we can have those personal conversations. I'm not telling you to open up and announce on Sunday morning to everybody, hey, I'm struggling with pornography and I need all of you to pray pray for me. I'm not talking about that, but what I am talking about is finding some people who are close enough that you trust in the body of Christ that you could share those things and build those kind of relationships. It doesn't have to be hard or difficult. It doesn't have to be ugly or mean, but, but we need this kind of accountability in our lives. And we're praying that as a church, uh, that, that this kind of community could develop. And listen, I, I'm encouraged because I see it developing. I see little pockets of it where people are opening up and they're sharing their, their trials, they're sharing their struggles with sin, and, and that kind of encouragement and, and admonition is happening. And I just pray that that would happen a thousand times over. What, what our goal is that everyone would be connected to that kind of community. In, in this body, that it wouldn't just be a few in, at the core, but at those people who are on the fringes would move to the center, that you would find those relationships and you would begin this process. Pray with me this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you and we do ask, Lord, 
for grace to, to be willing to uh, receive this kind of correction and instruction. Lord, Lord, it's so challenging. Lord, it's so difficult. It, it's such a strike at our flesh. It's such a strike at, at, at our pride to be willing to do that. But Lord, help us that, that we might be willing to do that. We, we pray, pray that we really would have as the preeminent desire of our heart that we would glorify you by becoming like your son, Jesus Christ. And we know that in order to do that, this kind of accountability is so necessary. So we pray for it in this church and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.